And with the first overall selection in the 2023 NHL Draft, the Chicago Blackhawks are very proud to select from the Regina Pats, the Western Hockey League, Connor Bedard. Welcome to PatsCast, the unofficial Regina Pats podcast with your hosts, Chris Clark and Kevin Shaw. All right, folks, we got a, a special uh, bonus episode of this summer. We got uh, Dante DeCaria, your play-by-play announcer of the Pats. So we thought we'd just bring him on, kind of get his side of the last season, maybe this summer and into next season a little bit. So thanks for coming on, Dante. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Kevin. My pleasure. So maybe kind of talk about last season kind of as a whole kind of kind of the off-ice side of stuff, stuff that you kind of had to deal with that maybe people don't realize what, what goes on on when you're off the mic. Yeah, I mean, on the ice, I think it was um, a successful season given the prior seasons for the Regina Pats. They were finishing under 500. They hadn't finished over 500 uh, since the Memorial Cup year when they went all the way to the Memorial Cup final in 2018. So I think that's a positive. The playoff series was nothing short of exciting. You look at games three and four, Kevin, and, um, you know, one bounce can change it, right? Absolute bananas. <laughs> Absolutely bananas. Um, you know, you look at the goal that Connor scored that was waved off because the net was off as well. There were so many different things. Like, one bounce could have changed the whole series from going up 3 nothing to 3-1. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's a 2-2 series, 3-2. Regina just, like, they, I think Connor gave it, everything in yeah, game he six willed that team to seven yeah. games yeah like he left it all on the ice i think the team was kind of gas going into game seven and then saskatoon's depth definitely showed in game seven uh, there's no question saskatoon had the better roster they had the better team the pats were obviously dealing with a couple of injuries borey Vallis didn't have an opportunity to play in the playoffs maybe that series goes a little bit differently if you have you know a scoring right winger to play on connor's side on the top line because there was a little bit of line juggling. I know Tanner didn't get off to the greatest start in that series, although he was still really good defensively in that series. Very responsible player, finishing his checks, etc. Drew Sim was solid defensively. I thought the Pats did well. Parker Berg, I think, stepped up. So uh, on the ice, it was a, a definitely a, a really interesting season. It remains to be seen on who will be coming back next year, what the import situation will be like, um, who the Pats will be able to bring up front, who will be that you know, that unsung guy, you know, that, that one guy that's kind of lying in the weeds that all of a sudden just turns it on. Will Borealis have, you know, another breakout season? I know you could say last year he broke out with 20 goals, but uh, he definitely has to be better. Tanner Howe, can he put up 85-plus points in his draft year? He's ranked within the top 15 already in the pre-draft rankings heading into the 2024 NHL draft, so that's exciting. What will the Pats get defensively? What will they get goaltending-wise with Drew Sim? And obviously, you know, that battle between Huey and Pine, right? We'll see what the goaltending situation looks like. They have three uh, qualified goaltenders heading into camp. Um, if the Pats are able to sign Huey, which I think they will, given that they drafted him in the first round in the import draft, so... That's definitely to look uh, something to look forward to. So lots of question marks, but I guess to answer your first question, last year was definitely a lot of fun. I think I was talking with you guys off mic. I have to thank John Paddock a lot for kind of making last year easier for, for myself in terms of just kind of never questioning my, my judgment of, of how things should be done with Connor and stuff like that, working together as a team. 
um, you know, he always told me to trust my gut. I think having him as someone to lean on and, and, and kind of a boss in that sense, being the GM and head coach was something uh, that I will cherish for the rest of my career. And looking back at it, like I was driving in this morning to talk with you guys and I kind of thought to myself, and I have said this to myself over the course of the last couple of weeks and the last couple of months, that, um, you know, with John retiring, I look back and say, wow, what a pleasure it was to work under him and just the way he kind of went about his business, um, just kind of let me do my thing, let Connor and I kind of handle it, obviously with the help of his agent and his family as well. So um, it's hard to kind of put into words on last season and just all the off-ice stuff, but um, given that it's, you know, we're recording this podcast a couple of days after John announced his retirement, I definitely have to thank, you know, everything he did for me and just kind of allowing me to do my job um, at a very young age without kind of questioning um, any of the things that I wanted to do. How, how much of a whirlwind was it? You know, you've you've been around some ball teams, professional ball teams. Uh, you've done hockey. What? How much different was this past season? Yeah, it was very different. I wouldn't say it was a whirlwind. Someone asked me the same question the other day, and I think it was someone that asked me, was the draft a whirlwind? I said no, because... Um, I had one whirlwind experience in my career, and it was opening day with the Toronto Blue Jays in 2017, the team that I grew up in watching, the team that I grew up dreaming to work for. And then just being you know, in and out of the clubhouse that day and being on the field for batting practice and then in the press box and the broadcast booth and you know, being around guys like Dan Schulman and Buck Martinez and uh, Pat Tabler at the time and Jerry Howarth and Joe Siddle and then you know, obviously Donaldson, Bautista, all those guys. And it was... Um, that was a whirlwind experience for me. I, I, I think I went home and I had a migraine until the next day because it was just too much for me to take in mentally, right? Being just 19 years old. I think that helped me for the rest of my career in the future as we sit here today. The reason why this past season wasn't necessarily a whirlwind experience for me. I, I, maybe that's the wrong word, but I, like I wasn't overwhelmed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'd ever felt overwhelmed with the pressure or having to handle this, that was I frustrated at times? Yes, obviously. Uh, was there a lot of work? Yes. A lot of the times, say if we had the day off on a Monday after a road trip, I was answering a whole bunch of emails from TSN and Sportsnet and et cetera, et cetera, and, and trying to get to all these requests because say we had the Monday off, right? Well, that was the beginning of the work week after Connor did crazy things on a weekend for all the national media outlets that I was trying to get to and all the media outlets that wanted to talk to Connor and the juggling act was very difficult you know having to try to make sure that everyone got what they needed but also what was best for the player in Connor Bedard so he's in much better hands with the Chicago Blackhawks clearly uh, that's not to say that he won't have a huge workload with all of his appearances and interview requests that he's going to have to do but yeah, it was interesting, and obviously as the season went along and the hype just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and then obviously after World Juniors, there were a little bit larger requests that came from the agency group, uh, from the NHL Network, came from ESPN, et cetera, et cetera, that took up more of our time where they would come in, and you guys, I'm sure, have seen the videos as well, everything that went into the draft coverage and stuff like that. And then you had you know NHL teams like the Blackhawks and Anaheim Ducks and stuff like that that were obviously reaching out looking for footage right? Just in case they got that first pick. So um, yeah, there was a lot of stuff, definitely made some pretty cool connections. Um, 
I don't want to say this selfishly, but for myself, I know that my voice was um, all over the place nationally. Um, so that was a pretty uh, cool experience for myself as Inter- well. Internationally, not just nationally. I guess all inter- over the world. <laughs> all over the world. I never really think about it too much. Like a lot of my friends would always bring it up to me, and and I never really cared. And just because I was like, when you like even right now, like the other day, I woke up. And then I went on my YouTube feed and then all of a sudden like these clips of like behind the scenes of the draft with Connor Bedard from the Blackhawks were posted. I watched like maybe three minutes of it and then turned it off because I, 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 I just can't I can't read about him. I can't watch and all of these interviews and things that he's doing. I, I just scroll right past it. I'll turn it on maybe for a couple maybe for a minute and then turn it off because number one. I feel like I know the the guy pretty well that I don't need to see these interviews. I've heard a lot of these answers before, so it does get a little bit repetitive. So I I know a lot of his stories. Um, And then the second thing, when you know a person like that caliber, right, but you know them on a personal level, um, for me, it's, it's just like I don't see him that way. So I don't really... you, You know him as a friend almost rather than a hockey player. Right. Yeah, I know him as a guy, you know, and when you're you with... You know him as Connor. I know him as that. Yeah, I know him as Connor. I know his family as Melanie and Tom and Maddie. So for me, like, it's not... Like, I don't see him as this big superstar. I just see him as the the guy that I've known since he was 16. So I don't really need to read about him, watch about him, or anything like that. Um, I don't know. I, I try to avoid all that stuff because um, I think all that matters is obviously the conversations that him and I have had over the last two years. Mm-hmm. So speaking of Nashville, what were your thoughts on just getting the opportunity to go down there and experience that? Yeah, it was definitely really cool. Um, I had the opportunity to share it with my brother as well, my half-brother Daniel. So he was with me. Um, just the days went by very quickly. You get into Nashville on the Tuesday. The Tuesday was the hardest part for me, to be honest with you, because so I went to the top prospects media availability at one of the hotels in downtown Nashville. And, you know, Connor had quite a bit of security with him. And uh, I had an opportunity to meet his personal security guard, Bob, great guy. He works with Hockey Canada and um, he's actually from London, Ontario. We actually had some similar people that we knew. So that was that was nice to connect with him and and chat with him. He's got a lot of experience and uh, Connor's really was really lucky to have him. I'm not sure if he stayed with him now while he's been in Chicago or in Vancouver, but uh, I think it was nice to have him at the draft. So that's awesome. But like I seen Connor walk out to do a photo op and he had, you know, security with him and stuff like that. And nobody could get near him. And like, like that was the first time that I had seen that. That was quite difficult for me to see just because like I explained to you guys, like I know Connor as Connor. I don't know him as, I don't see him as this big superstar or this big celebrity. So to see that was like, holy smokes, like... It's th- real. It's real. This is what's going to be happening, right? And then, you know, there were like 50-something people like fighting for space and fighting to ask questions for Connor that day when he did the scrum. And then as soon as he did the scrum, they just hustled him into a room and got him out of there. You know, there was no... Um, yeah, like, for example, the other prospects, like Matthew Wood was there um, as an example, or Adam Fantilli. They had, like, no security around them, and there were people just standing around him, scrumming him, and then talking to him after the interview, just like normal. Sh- shooting the breeze, normal. Yeah. 
But with Connor, like that stuff's just not possible. Mm-hmm. Like that's just the level that he's at. And to me, it was like, holy smokes, like, wow. I walked out of there and I kind of like was feeling like, you know, and then I remember like talking to John that night and just kind of telling him the story. And then I'm like, I, I just had no words to describe how I was feeling. And then I saw Boria that night as well because he arrived because he was getting ready for the draft too. And I explained, you know, what was like, like explained it to Boria and Boria was like, really? And I was like, yeah, because again, myself, John, Boria, the, the three people that I talked to right after that don't see Connor in, in that way. You know what I mean? Because we just know him so well, having been around him, Boria having played with him, John having coached him, myself having worked with Connor for the last two years. So that was uh, that was definitely a, a different experience for me, something I'd never really seen in my career, especially for a 17-year-old kid who's turning 18 next week, by the way. Um, and then, you know, the day of the draft, the 28th on the Wednesday, um, it was it was nice to uh, obviously connect with Connor prior to the draft. Uh, we had an, the, the Pat staff had a nice lunch uh, with him, including, um, you know, uh, the brass. So that was uh, that was nice. And then uh, had an opportunity to to see Connor at the hotel before he went uh, to the red carpet. And uh there, there. I don't think fans knew where they were staying or anything like that. So that was nice. There was nobody waiting for autographs or anything like that. So it was kind of nice to just chat with him in the lobby, and just kind of catch up, and you know, obviously ask him on how he was feeling going into the draft. It looked like he had no nerves or anything like that. So that was. Uh, Does he ever look like he has nerves? No, I don't he think doesn't. he's ever looked like he's had nerves. <laughs> I don't think so. No. Well. I'll get to that in a second, actually. I think I've seen it once. Okay, maybe once, but pretty much every interview since he was 15, yeah. he looked like a professional, yeah. basically, right from the start. Yeah, it's crazy. So so then there was that, and then the draft happened, and then, you know, Connor, I seen Connor after he got picked when he did the scrum downstairs, but, you know, he was so busy, and then obviously after the draft, we had a chance to connect with him and uh, and kind of you know celebrate the the accomplishment from the pads and his family and uh, the blackhawks and stuff like that and then the next day we went to the draft with the hopes of boria getting selected and uh, it was cool to see rounds two through seven and a lot of who guys get selected that were kind of in the same area that we were sitting in um, like carson bjarnison was it was at the same hotel as us and um, had a nice chat with him and congratulated him when he got drafted he's a really nice kid from from just meeting him the handful of times that week. Uh, you know, it was nice to see Kaylin Lynn get selected and Andrew Crystal and and all those guys. Uh, obviously, there were a lot of WHL guys selected from rounds two through seven, but they were all kind of in our area. I was really sad to see Boria not get selected, but I think he's really motivated to come back uh, this year and, and get drafted just like Riker did. Riker got passed over as an 18-year-old and then got drafted as a 19-year-old. So hopefully we see that with Boria. Yeah, definitely. So that that was a pretty cool experience, just being at the draft, like seeing all that happening, like, um, like how much you know, like activity. Like there wasn't any trades, unfortunately, this year no. for whatever reason. But picks. Usually, that was the weirdest. Thing. Yeah, but trades usually, of picks. <laughs> but there was like usually there's all you know teams are going back and forth and just to but there wasn't obviously anything happened, but it was kind of cool to just see all that going on. Yeah. So I guess the way it works is like, there's like the draft floor, like where like the, yeah, on the, the ice. ice would be. Yeah. Um, and then like the credentials I had only allowed me in like the media Bay mm-hmm. area and I can only go so far. So I couldn't actually go on the floor yeah. clearly. Um, I guess when I was sitting in the stands for rounds two through seven, you're, you're watching like people go around and talk and stuff like that, which is neat. But, 
day one when Connor got drafted, I was downstairs underground. I d- couldn't see anything. Yeah. Like I didn't know what was going on down there. Yeah, because they you go know? right to interviews. They do, you know, the on-camera ones. The, the Wi-Fi was really bad. I know Frank Cervalli tweeted it out. <laughs> but uh, no, it was nice. Like I, I had a chance to... I, I chatted with Frank over um, message before, just in booking John for an interview once. So... Uh, Frank knew who I was, obviously through social media and, and, you know, having Connor here in Regina. So I had the chance to interact with him, which was nice. I, I met Darren Dreger, who's like, he told me he actually used to drive bus for the Brandon Wheat Kings and Calder Games. So that I knew, was, I knew he called their games. Yeah, I knew he, he drove the yeah. bus. He told me he drove the bus. Yeah. So that Doesn't was neat. surprise me. <laughs> that was neat. So it was neat, neat to talk with, uh, Darren Dreger. Um, two of my actual favorite interactions that I had was with Ian Mendes, um, he was the host of the drive on TSN 1200 in Ottawa when I did my high school co-op there at 16 and 17 years old. And then I saw him at the NHL draft now being 25. And it was kind of neat to talk because, um, you know, he was somebody that I grew up watching on Sportsnet and listening to on the radio, obviously, when he went to TSN in Ottawa. And, you know, being an Ottawa guy and having, you know, known him when I was a teenager and then, you know, us kind of interacting, you know, seven or eight years later, just on how far I've come in, in my life uh, was uh, definitely a moment that I'll, I'll remember because I was so young and he was one of the, the first guys that I worked under. So that was pretty cool. And then I ran into a guy named Jaron Burke, who um, his mom was my secretary from grade 7 to grade 12, and he now is in the front office with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I actually broadcasted him in junior A when he was a 19 and 20-year-old, and he's a year older than me, so I would have been 18 and 19 years old. And as soon as I went up to him, he recognized me right away. And he was like, hey. And I was like, he's like, Dante? I was like, yeah. Jaron? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I work for the Leafs. And I was like, holy, sh- holy smokes. <laughs> you know? And he's like, hey, I heard you're with the Pats. And I was like, yeah. And then we just started talking and stuff like that. And we connected. And uh, that was neat. And he's from my neighborhood in Ottawa. So, yeah, those were kind of the, the, the two interactions that I enjoyed the most. Um I kind of predicted everything that would happen with Connor. We all knew he was going first overall. I don't think he looked very surprised when he got drafted. So he, I, he said he was. Oh yeah, well, sure. He wasn't. He wasn't, he wasn't so, certain. Yeah, he was oh, always yeah. so humble, right? Like, <laughs> he, well, there's other good players. Air quotes. Here. He wasn't certain where he was gonna go. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's just the way he is. Though, like you see, I like, asked him once. I said, how, "How?" I said, "Who trained you?" And believe it or not, he said he actually trained himself. Like watching a lot of Crosby. YouTube clips on interviews and how he carries himself and how he talks like this guy. Like when I mean he's a student of the game, he is a student of the game on ev- all facets. Like he picks up on everything guys do, whether he had met Co- Crosby in person or he didn't just watching how these guys answer questions in the media and stuff like that. He just honestly taught himself. Obviously I'm sure he had help from a lot of his representatives at Newport. Um, but I remember asking him that question and that's just who he is. He taught himself how to shoot that way too. Yeah, yeah, no, we all know that, right? But I mean, he's just so humble. I, uh, obviously, that's a testament to his upbringing, like his parents and stuff. And he just seems like such a good kid. Like it's it's just crazy. Like there's lots of, I mean, people are like, oh, how does he handle all this? But I think it's just the way he is. And and like there's there's so many, you know, every year there's the first overall draft pick, and he just seems like he's just. He's going to be able to handle just about anything. Yeah, I agree with you. There's there's nothing that phases that kid. I guess back to the point that I had made earlier, there was one time where I thought Connor looked overwhelmed, and it was that BC trip. 
I think that was the only time. Yeah. And, and that was really difficult for him. Just coming to his home province, home, the yeah. pressure. I think the game in Vancouver, he, he got a ghost assist, let's be honest. I think Kevin and I both <laughs> know that. To extend that point streak, right? I think it was on that Hal goal. It happens. Um, <laughs> There's lots. Of he doesn't like in it. The WHL. He does not like it. That's uh, not junior eight's way worse. You'd be pulling it. First. You'd be the really. The lower you go. Yeah. Before video, can you imagine how many ghost assists? Well, like when I was stuff? in the BCHL, they had Alex Newhook in Victoria the year before, and apparently, like, everyone in the league used to rant about how he didn't get a hundred and whatever points that year because <laughs> he used to like because it was just not real, like. Like he had a lot of ghost like ghost points, but anyways, yeah, that BC trip, I think he looked really overwhelmed. Um, but once he came back from World Juniors, he was nothing phased him at all. Like I said, like I think that was the only time I think personally that he maybe overwhelms not the right word to use here. I don't know. Uh, he might not agree with me, but he wasn't himself, is what you're basically like. Saying. He was still Connor, but I just think that. Um, there was a lot of, there was a lot of pressure. Extra pressure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. there was a lot of extra pressure that, uh, and and you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing. Yeah. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. He's seventeen. Seventeen. Exactly. You know, right. like I couldn't imagine handling that as four no. year old. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, like even even myself. Like just on the pros. I put I, I mean, guys like him and stuff like that, and even myself. I I I'll admit I put a lot of pressure on myself for games and I did put a lot of my pressure myself for the last two years. I think I was hard. I was really hard on myself and I'm very hard on myself because I expect the best. So, you know, I understand where he's coming from, obviously much different magnitude, right? But it all, it's all about your mind, right? Whether I'm Connor Bedard or I'm Dante, right? If your mind's telling you that you have to be this way and that way, then it doesn't like that's what you're going to do because the, your mind is the most powerful thing in the world and it can play a tricks on you 100 percent. definitely yeah uh the vibe around nashville like it seems like it's a hockey town like you know it's a southern town but they've had the stanley cup they've been in the final uh they've had a all-star game it seems like it's turning into a hockey town what what are your thoughts on it yeah i w- would probably agree with you um not to say that I interacted with a lot of fans or anything like that, but there were a quite a bit of Pats jerseys there, which was neat. Um, there were a lot of Nashville Predators jerseys rolling around, which you would expect. But I think it's a great just city to... Like, I, like I said this when I was leaving. I think I asked Ken Schneider this, and I was just like, why don't NHL players want to sign here more? Like, why hasn't this team had more success? Like, they're usually... A pretty good team. They're always making the playoffs, at least from whenever they entered the league in the late 90s to, I don't know, after they won the Cup. And obviously, they've had their downward trend recently. But they were always a really consistent team. They're always very good under David Poyle, who now has retired. And uh, Barry Trotz, former Pat, Trotzy. has now uh, <laughs> taken over as the GM after being their, uh, their inaugural head coach. But anyways, like I, th- they've always been a really consistent team. But after having been in the city... And seeing, you know, what it's like there. I don't know why more NHL players don't sign there. Maybe because Nashville is fairly close to Memphis and there's a lot of crime and stuff like that, at least from being down south for a bit. Um, you know, my I landed in Memphis and my brother was just telling me all about it because he lives an hour from there. So I don't know. It's 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 definitely interesting. I don't know why they're considered a small market team because that rink is really nice. 
I think they have a decent fan base. I don't know why more players aren't wanting to sign in Nashville. So going forward next year, I mean, everybody's, you know, everybody's throwing out numbers for Connor, but I don't want to hear that. Like, just, I mean, he's he's exceeded, I think, everybody's expectations every season, every tournament kind of thing. What do you think he can not do, but, you know, how do, how do you think he will do next year? I think he'll do good. There's going to be more pressure next year. Like, he's the face of that team. They're calling him the savior, right? This guy is supposed to come in and bring them back the promised land he's supposed to bring them back to the cup i saw some reports on twitter that it'd be nice to have kane and taze back to kind of help him a little bit but i think it's time for a new chapter no i agree yeah well they, they they've got they brought Corey perry in and they they brought in uh Folino. Folino. right but those are new, new guys. guys yeah yeah but no, like still there's though, no one like there that's transition. been there yeah, yeah but that's 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 uh, that's good for him though he's got some quality guys uh, hall too right so he's gonna he's gonna have some quality guys that have been around the league that they know how uh, maybe not how to win. Well, Corey Perry knows how to win. Yeah, yeah. But Felino's been on some good teams. Exactly. So maybe they'll help <laughs> him along the way. Like I don't know. Obviously, like I don't know. I don't know what their cap room is, but obviously they've got they have some a lot of space. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I don't follow the NHL too I much, mean, but they are paying Seth Jones a lot. But yeah, if they have to stay at the floor, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. yeah. So they, they've got room to bring you, in some veteran guys. It's right? interesting you, you mentioned that. So when I was like looking at like the three teams that had the best chance of getting Connor, Columbus, Anaheim, and Chicago, I was like quite interested to see if he went to Columbus, what would happen with their cap? Because they didn't have a ton of cap space left. And obviously after Connor's three years were up, he would probably get quite a bit of money. And I don't know if they could fit Goudreau, Line and him. And then the D's that they've signed, right? They would have to move off of some guys. It all depends on how much the cap would go up because it's going That's up true. the next couple of years. But, yeah. it's but anyways, much, it's but. it's kind of nice with Chicago. Like, okay, I know they have Jones signed long term. But that's right? about it, right? Like, that, yeah, I mean, Hall's, I don't know how much Hall's making, but it doesn't really matter. I think it's one year. Right? Yeah, I think he's one or two years, yeah, at yeah. the most. So, so anyways, it's kind of like, okay, you sign him. And then this is your big piece money-wise, and then you try to build the rest of your that. players. Like, fine, pay him. He's your stud. You know, try yeah. to build the rest yeah, of the Yeah, they're, they're, those guys they brought in are just guys to get them over the hump to get to the next level, to, yeah, to yeah. get next year. Yeah, they're just stop gaps, right? Nothing wrong with the players. But no, they're, they're, they're going to be good here players. Here too. They're, they're, they're legit hey, I mean, they might end up dealing Hall at some point. Yeah, if It, might, it might rejuvenate Hall, too, yeah. if he's playing on Bedard's wing. Who knows, right? So he's the, got the some speed. He's got some wheels. I think he will play center, but I don't know. I think it's going to be a difficult transition to play center at the next level. That's what I was wondering. Is he going to make sure. it as a center, or is he going to have to? He will be a center because because you can't tell him something. Like yeah, he, you can't say no. You can't be a center. No, no. There's there's nothing you can't tell that kid he can't do because yeah. you tell him he can't do something, he'll prove he'll you wrong. It out. Yeah. So good. Tell him he can't be a center, and he'll go out and work his. <laughs> Tail off to be a center, yeah, yeah. I right? Think I think it's kind of neat that the first game he's going to be playing is going to be against Sidney Crosby. Crosby. That's going to be great. Ah, uh, man, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to share a story, but I'll just leave it. Yeah. All right. If you uh, want to share, share. <laughs> as long as you don't get in trouble. No, it's it's nothing I would get in trouble for, but um, I just I have to like think more so that I had everything in order before I talk about it. Okay. Yes. Okay, well, moving on. I don't uh, want to misquote or anything like no, that. No, no, gotcha. Um, moving on, like, 
you, like you said, there's lots of transition for the Pats next year, not only on ice, but off ice for you and, and a lot of staff turnover. So what, what do you think, uh, maybe a little calmer this coming season, maybe ease, you know, there'll be, obviously there's some new maybe procedures and stuff happening. Uh, what do you think the transition is going to be like for yeah. next year? Excited to work with Alan Miller. I think, um, you know, I, I had a chance to briefly chat with Tanner Howe the other day about him because he played under him at the U18 with the Helen Gretzky cup and obviously the U18 team last year in Switzerland or this past year, sorry. And, you know, he had awesome things to say, you know, Tanner reached out to me and asked, Hey, do you know Alan? And I said, I just met him the other day. What do you got? And he's like, he's one of the smartest guys in hockey. So I trust Tanner because Tanner's a very intelligent young man and somebody, a, a, a young individual that I respect a whole lot. So that's nice coming from him. So I'm really excited to, to work with Al and see the plan that he has in place. I, I think he briefly talked about it at the press conference the other day. Chris, you were there, you know, talking about recouping picks. He wants the team to grow up together. So I, I don't, I would not be surprised if if Allen is trying to recuperate some of the draft picks the Pats are lacking. I mean, they don't have a first round pick coming into this year, so maybe he tries to get a little bit more draft picks down the road. You know, I think this past draft, it was it wasn't from what I understand, it wasn't a deep draft. But you know, to not have a first or second round pick definitely hurt. But I mean, heck, you never know. Kuzma, a third rounder, could turn into a, a really solid guy. We don't know, obviously, yeah. at this point. Or Clausen, or Lansard. Lansard as well, or some of the unsigned guys, right? So, yeah. or who knows if Lebrett comes? Like, we don't know, right? So, the uh, the, the WHL prospects draft is, is very interesting when you're drafting at that, that oh, U15 level. It's mm. so young. Crap. Coming, <laughs> from on, coming from Ontario. Where they drafted at 15, then they play at 16. You know what I mean? Like you get them right away. And you can't trade the first round picks or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that too. And they're your older. You get you get another year of viewing them, right? Like they're that that whole year is is, can be a huge Now it's like, okay, let's draft him. Now he's under our tutelage and let's watch him as a fifteen year old, see what he does, and then it's like, okay, well, mm, maybe not. You know, oh I know, right? Fourteen is just so young. It's like like, I think John talked about it at spring camp, like Cole Temple night and day from when they had him at spring camp last year and now a year older. There's yeah. an example, right? You draft this kid fifth overall, and then he gets off to a slow start in U18, right? And then he comes to your camp and it's like, okay, you know, he, he looks good, but he's not great. And then his second camp, he looks amazing. Yeah. Man. Right? So it's interesting. But, yeah, you know... Allen is going to real he, he, like I think he mentioned like the fifteen twenty game mark is when he's going to know what he's got. It's it's going to take time. But I thought about this on the drive in here today as well. Like this guy's not that far removed from from the league. Like oh, he no. drafted oh, only a couple years exactly. <laughs> he years. drafted in the twenty twenty WHL prospects draft, and if not for COVID, he would have drafted in twenty twenty one as well. Essentially, yeah, right because yeah. of the COVID year. So because that draft was held in the winter. Yeah. It was in December or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So like the last draft class that he would have drafted are now going into their 18 year old years, their 05s. Yeah. Exactly. So he has scouted and seen the 03s, which are 20s, the 04s, which are 19 year olds, and the 05s, which are 18. The only guys he hasn't seen is the 08s, the 07s, and the 06s. 
So he's he's he, not that he far. He probably removed. has because he's been doing stuff for the the Canada U18. So he's probably seen some of correct, the stuff, but, but not. But it's like, remember what he said the other day at the press conference when he was asked that question? He said it's a big difference scouting for the national program because you're just watching the top players. Yeah. Right? And he's going from Quebec to Ontario to the WHL. So I don't know how he figures out on which guys are the top guys from all three leagues or in college or in USHL or whatever. Right? Like, I'm not sure. But I'm sure it comes down to his connections within the CHL and them saying, okay, this this is your group of players you got to go watch and... X, Y, and Z yeah. teams and leagues. And then he goes, and when you're scouting, he's focusing in on, say, 306s in the Quebec League or 406s. And then he goes to the WHL and he goes to watch Berkeley Cadden, right? Who obviously he has on the Holinka Gretzky team. He goes and watches, you know, a Jordan Gavin as another example, right? Like, yeah. like. So, yeah, there's, there's two different viewings there right? right like whereas with a hockey team as you know as we know you cannot in hockey it's not basketball you can't have just five or six good players yeah. you need to have a full team yeah. as we saw with seattle obviously they didn't win the memorial cup but they came close quebec was a really strong team Kamloops was really strong winnipeg had four lines that they could roll against you yeah. you know two good goalies well whatever but one and a half goals. one and a half again <laughs> But yeah, yeah, no, it'll be interesting. And like you said, he he still kind of knows the league, so he's not he hasn't been gone for so long that he he's out of touch per se and stuff. So I think it's probably a lot of the same personnel as well around the league. He's got yeah, a connection yeah. connection yeah, with Moose Jaw because Ripplinger was his assistant general manager. Yeah. Now he's the GM in Moose Jaw. Uh, obviously, Marty Murray's new in Brandon, but he'll get to know him as well. He probably already knows him because the guy is, he's so yeah. connected yeah exactly. he's, he's been around for because he was in the null right yeah and anyways and then you got you know a lot of the same ua team programs in which he probably has connections with scouts front office people so yeah, yeah it's it's not like it's not like he's coming from the nhl down like yeah. this guy was already scouting junior for the last yeah. two years i think it's probably one of the i don't even know what other better options you could have found than other than no he, i think he was the best option like, I think John mentioned that when his name came up that he was interested in, he automatically jumped to the top of the list on, on candidates yeah. that they were looking for. It makes yeah. sense. It makes sense. He's, he, like, like we said, he's, he's only been gone for a couple of years, so yeah. he's still familiar with a lot of the players. Like, and you said the, the personnel around the league really hasn't changed that much. So yeah. and and there, there's a lot of scouts that are still scouts, maybe not with the same team, but they're still scouting, so yeah. there's lots of ties. And he has European connections too, right? He knows a lot of agents, clearly, because he would have had to deal with some top agents with the World Junior teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Sure. Yeah. So he's got the same connections with Newport, which is Connor's agency that also has Svolzo, Suzdalev, Bedard, Howe. Right. Maybe they'll add some more top players that come to the Pats. You know, uh, Greg Landry, Connor's agent, same agent as Tanner Howe. Great guy, great guy to deal with. You know, yeah. and, and he's like, got a lot of Euros too. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if people don't know that he's had really good success in the Ontario League before he came out here west. Yeah. So he's won a, won a championship. championship with yeah. the Storm, yeah, Gulf Storm. So like he's put together some good Moose Jaw teams. They just couldn't get over the hump, but he he's put good together. with Sarnia too. I mean, to have Steven Stamkos is no yeah, slouch, yeah. yeah, for sure as well. So. Um, and then obviously, really exciting news with Brad Haroff being appointed as the forty third head coach in franchise history. Um, you know. This is a guy who had the opportunity to run the bench 
when John was battling with an illness in the 2021-22 season. And uh, that was no easy hand that he was dealt with just being around the team that year. Yeah. Obviously, there were... Like, you guys were watching the games, but you weren't able to get as close as, say, for example, me with all the COVID restrictions and stuff like that. But, like, the one thing I want to say, that that team was just so drained mentally by the end of the year, just with the COVID season and everything that was going on. And you had the Connor stuff, too, at 16. And then, at the same time, the team lacked goaltending. There's no question. That's been publicly said. And John tried to address it last year, which he, he did to an extent. And then you know, Brad coming in and you lose John, who's obviously a huge voice in that room and, and, and somebody with a lot of experience. And then Brad and Kenny are running the bench and Rob Montaigne was on the bench as well. So um, it wasn't an easy hand that Brad was dealt with and he made the best of it. They missed the playoffs by just two points. And there were a lot of games that I thought could have, should have, would have, almost. So many times. That so team should have made games. the playoffs by at least eight points. Yeah, It's, not, e- it's not even close. Dubinsky yeah. hitting the post in Calgary and then Keeper getting run over by Riker Evans in overtime when Sean Jagal scored at the end of the game. Like, like There were so many blown leads so right at the close, end of the game. Yeah. Drew Sim looking in the stands and Medicine Hat and the puck gets shot between his legs and into the back of the net and we were going to overtime and then Medicine Hat won in a shootout. And, um, yeah. Uh, Swift Current, Keeper letting in three goals or sorry two goals on the first three shots of the game the pats outshot swift current it was like 18 to 3 in the first period and they're down to nothing and then the rest of the game just continues and it's just one of those games like i remember like that year i know the pats were heavily outshot last year but under brad they were heavily out shooting opponents and they did limit a lot of damage i think he's a really good coach i know i put it out on twitter yesterday and as someone who truly believes in hard work, dedication, and just having that love for your craft, I think those are the exact words I would have used. I really love this opportunity for Brad because for myself, nothing's came easy for me in my career. Like, I know that. Nothing's came easy for Brad. He had to work, and I think he said it the other day, he wanted to do this the right way when he felt that he was ready for the opportunity to be a head coach. He spent, I guess, 11 years from Pat C's and the Regina Pats as an assistant slash head coach, obviously. Head coach with the Pat C's for two years and assistant for his first season after he retired from the American League. And then eight seasons as an assistant coach with the Pats. He he wasn't an associate coach. He didn't become an assistant coach and an assistant GM. He stayed in the exact same role consistently from 2015 onward yeah you don't see that very often at no all. and it takes a lot of dedication to do that so um i I'm, I'm really quite annoyed with some of the people i've seen on twitter that have have said oh this is just like the struch hiring it's not right struch had been a head coach in the league before he's been around a lot longer struch is way older than brad and they are not the same coach at all i've worked with both i'm not saying dave struch is a bad coach uh, he didn't you know, necessarily have the, the greatest roster to work with over the previous couple of years. So I'm not saying that I'm defending Dave, but I, I like him. He's been good to me. But I think Brad is a much different coach. He's a really good motivator. I know for a fact the players like him. I've had a, quite a few conversations with some of our players since the hiring of, of Brad. And even before that, I, I was talking with Borea Vallis at the draft, and he asked me, you know, what are the chances that Brad gets to be a head coach? And I was like, probably pretty high. And he was like, well, I'd be really excited and happy for that. Braxton Whitehead was at the draft too, just because he lives around there. 
And he asked me, he's like, hey, what do you think about Brad being a head coach? And I was just like, I like it. And he's like, honestly, Dante, I'd be so motivated and so excited to come to training camp with Brad as head coach. So I know the, the players in that dress room have respect for Brad. You know, when you're in a leadership position, I think Mike Babcock said it the other day, not everyone's going to like you, but I do truly believe that 85 to 90% of the players in that dress room love Brad. And yeah, it doesn't you can, matter who you have. Exactly. You can ask Logan Nyhoff. You can ask Riker Evans. as two guys that were late picks, late bloomers, right, that leaned a lot on Brad's mentorship during their time here in Regina that helped Logan move on to pro hockey and Riker become now essentially Seattle's top defensive prospect or one of their top. Like, I, I think he's ahead of Shane Wright at this point, right? Like, Shane Wright hasn't done anything. And Riker Evans was a stud last year in the American League. And Wright didn't do anything in the American League. So... I think that's obviously a credit to Riker, but you know when Riker came in, he was five six or whatever he was, and even he grew. He literally grew into a super, well, a star. Yeah, yeah, he was a star, and um, you know Brad worked with him a lot. They worked a lot on a lot of different things. Obviously, you can't teach the intelligence that Riker has, but you know obviously there were a lot of things to his game that he had to work on, and Brad helped with that. But again, like back to my my point, Brad believes in the work ethic and determination and. You know, I tell my kids at baseball, I coach a baseball team, right? Um, and I tell my kids all the time, not all of them listen, right? At, unfortunately, at 11 and 12 years old, and they don't understand it. I hope they realize one day. But I tell them all the time, like, if you want something, you can do it. No one's stopping you. The only thing that's stopping you is between your two ears, right? Brad wanted to be a head coach, right? The only thing that was going to stop him is his own mind. But he trusted the process, he put in the time, he put in the work, and now he's here, and I think he's going to run with this job, and I think it means a lot to him and his family being a local guy. But again, it's the same thing I tell my kids. They complain all the time. Well, I didn't feel the ground ball. Oh, I missed the ball. Oh, I can't hit. Well, change that. Well, how can I change that? Work on it. Practice. I'm telling you what you need to do to get better, right? Oh, I miss every ball when I play third base. I can't play third base. I can't play first. Yes, you can. I think you can play first base. You don't want to put in the work in order to do it. That's all it comes down to. It's the same thing with myself. If you guys, I, I, I should show you guys tapes when I first started. I sucked. I was awful. <laughs> when, I worked, when I worked for the Jays, I sent Jerry Howard my tape, and he came back to me and said, this is awful. But that just motivated me to be better. Like, yeah. you know, sometimes a little kick in the ass can go a long way. Yeah. Definitely. That's just the way I believe. So all those people on Twitter going off about Brad saying it's the same as Stroot and the yada yada, you know, not even close. Not even close. I don't think it's so much about Brad specifically. I think it's more of like the splash of, of a new head coach. I think that's a lot of, a lot of the, the But here's the thing. Why, but, why do, but, but why do they need to bring in a new guy when this guy knows the team, he knows the organization, he's built relationship with all these players, wouldn't the players be more comfortable with clearly someone that they really like and respect? I totally get the continuity. I, I'm I'm all for Brad. I hope he does really well. But the team is going to be totally different. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a totally different look. So hopefully he doesn't... Hopefully he's able to make the team, or I don't know, get, get the best out, out of the of team to prove people wrong okay so say yeah. you so, know what i'm saying so say if this team needs to retool per se looking at the roster right you have temple coming in maybe allman comes in maybe smith comes in again i'm not putting pressure on 07s to carry the team right but that's your future as an example right i think brad's the perfect coach to mentor these young players to have 
these young high-end guys come in and hit and and kind of play under his wing you know i think he's really good with young players that's what that's the most what, I, what i'm exciting about the most is bringing in guys fresh that have that per se new voice right like a temple to where he can play and work under brad and they can progress together and grow together as he grows as a coach and he and and he grows as a player that's i'm excited about that like being around Brad, and you can ask Ken Schneider this as well, or anybody that's been around him, he is very smart technically. Like, I'm not the most, I'm not the smartest guy with with hockey in terms of the systems and stuff like that. Nor should I be. That's not my, that's not my job, right? My job is to tell the story on the ice, right? Brad's job is to draw up the X's and O's, which he does an outstanding job at, right? Um, I would go in there and ask, like, can you explain this play to me? And he would like explain it to me and I'm like and I'd walk out of there saying I understand and I'm not a player you know what I mean so if he can explain something to me then I, I'm pretty sure he can explain you know that to the team that might be a really bad example but I'm just saying I've asked him about different technicalities and stuff like that and one time I think it was on the road I asked him about like you know how do you do it like what's the key to being a, a coach and he said like the most important thing is trying to get 22 to 23 guys to buy in and if everyone buys in that you should have success and you know like he said yesterday in the press conference the or al said it the days of throwing the gatorade um machine or whatever or kicking garbage cans and stuff are far over and brad Haroff is not one of those guys that's for sure yeah so again really excited about this and yeah, i think I he's do going to do a great job Again, I think all three of us know, um, you know the ro like you can't replace Connor Bedard. The roster is what it is, and um, I'm excited to see some individuals step up this upcoming year. Yeah, I think that's what we're looking for. Yeah, we exactly. Step up. Well, losing Connor, losing Stan. Yeah, uh, probably possibly Suzdalev. Probably possibly Suzdalev. Maybe that's going to be huge. We're the, they're not going to be able to replace that, so they're going to have to try to figure There's out. There's 71 goals, 40 goals, and uh, 78 points. 78 stand. points on the D. Yeah, <laughs> that's tough. <laughs> Real tough. That and is losing, tough. Losing two more defense, like so, losing three of your top four defensemen basically mm -hmm. is going to hurt really bad. Yeah. Hey, so. I, I do want to say this. I I um I saw Sam Aremba yesterday, and that guy looks real strong. Good. And um, he's, he's a guy that needs to get, get consistency. So, consistency, yeah, yeah I, I just, you know, I asked him last night if he could just come talk to my kids, the team, because I'm trying to get through to these kids, trying to motivate them, <laughs> just like Brad does with like he tries to do with the Pats. But I'm trying to motivate these kids heading into our last weekend of the year, which is Provincials next, week, next weekend. And so I asked Sam to come out and just to explain, a, you know, what it takes to be an athlete and what it takes to get good at something. And a lot of what Sam was saying was he's in the gym and skating two to three times a day, man. So hearing that makes me think like this guy wants to be great. I think he's going to come in with a chip on his shoulder as yeah. an 18 year old. I'm excited to, prove, to see. Right? He does. So. Like we all know he can do it. Look what he yeah. did. You're not seventh overall for nothing. Exactly. And he's got the size. Clearly he can skate. Yep. Right. It's yeah. just about just all putting it together. Get it exactly. together. Right. And, yeah. you know, as a 16 year old, he didn't have the ice time in Seattle. So that yeah. maybe would have oh. stinted a little bit of his development. Last year was the first time where he had a, a, a top nine role. You know, he was a third yeah. or first line guy. Yeah, and coming home, maybe there's a little like added pressure there. So he was dealing with that last year, and maybe this year he can not and tune Tristan. it out. But 
um, but he can, you know, he's settled in back home here now, and he can, you know, worry about the on ice stuff and 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 get on on that. So, yeah. What else you got, Kevin? Anything else? I think we've pretty much covered all yeah. of it. I think. Yeah, that was that was good. So I think I'm good. Yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah. one 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 more thing. Last year, when the second half of the season started, well, actually the whole BC trip and then the second half of the season when pretty much every road game was almost a sellout. What was it like calling games on the road? What was your favorite what was your favorite rink to call when it was packed or almost packed? Like Calgary when there was like 17,000. Lethbridge. Lethbridge? Yeah. Um, Calgary, I'll tell you, you could drop a pin. That place was silent in Calgary. Until the Pats scored and then you could hear the, the, the crowd sounded like it was a home crowd. It, correct. But if I think when Braxton Whitehead scored that tying goal, nobody said anything. But... Like, I think I asked a scout who was sitting in the stands, one of our scouts, and I asked him just about the atmosphere, and he was like, people were, like, turning to each other, like, I don't even know any of these players. I'm just here to watch number 98. Like, that's that's the... I've, I've said this a few times. When we went on the road, there were people coming that weren't junior hockey fans. They were coming just to watch Connor, and then they'll never come to another game. Like, so that's why I felt the crowds weren't crazy, like, say, when the opposition scored. Yeah. You know what I mean? Leftbridge it was though. Yeah. Leftbridge and Red Deer were the two best atmospheres in the league yeah. when they're pa- when they're full. Yeah. And then there's That's Regina good. too. But even, you know, uh, talking Saskatoon was fun as well. Even talking to other people here in Regina that were in the crowd sitting and and obviously they they watched some hockey and they, they said other people, you know, obviously just came to watch him, right? And it, well, it is what it is. Right? There, there there were certain media people even that would be typing on their computer and then let me know when Bernard's out there. And I'm like, oh, he's out there. Stop. And they stop typing. A certain media person that I, I will not name. Ben Stone? <laughs> Where are you? <laughs> Long gone. <laughs> come on, Van Stone. Um, yeah. You know, I'm really hoping those fans come back to see the Pats. This Because the team's going to need their support. Um, you know, it's always nice to have a packed building. And uh, yeah. I think... Uh, us as a staff is going to try to put forth the best game day experience possible for them. And the coaches and the management staff is going to do their best to put the best product on the ice to come watch. But the Brandt Center, is a, it's a fun rink to call games in. It's a fun rink to watch. You know, like, I won't be, I won't, I'm not going to lie. Like, I remember being in high school and, at, you know, when Erie came to town, we would all talk at school like, hey, let's go watch McDavid play against the 67s. And... You know, that was something that would happen. And then later on, Lafreniere, when when Gat, when he would come and play Gatineau, it's just over the bridge, right? It's not very far in Ottawa. So people would go want to watch him play as well. But I remember going to 67s games, and, uh, like, it never really interested me. Like, it, it, it did interest me on who the prospects were on the other teams and who the prospects were on the 67s. But, like, I wasn't just going to see one guy, you know? Like, I remember watching Niagara. and Was it Niagara? And it was Niagara and Ottawa in the playoffs, and Mark Visentine scored a, a goal as a goalie. Uh, I'll never forget that. So those are kind of the moments. Like I, I think I was talking to Gord Pritchard the other day, saying that, you know, if I never was brought to my first ever hockey game in 2007 and watched the Ottawa 67s when Logan Couture was playing for them, and then got to get autographs and after the game at Autograph Alley at the who was a Civic Center back then in Ottawa, I wouldn't be sitting with you guys today. I, I wouldn't have said to myself, like, hey, I think I want to, like, sit up there. I think I want to sit there and talk on the mic. And I was nine. <laughs> so I made, yeah. the, I made the decision then. 
Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. So, all right. If that's all, that's all. Thank you very much for your time. Thank Appreciate you, it. Yeah. Thanks, Dante. You got it, guys. Appreciate it.